0: Says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side, Said, hey.
1: Regarding Lulu. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Regarding Lulu, a track by track dissection section of the album Lulu, released by Lou Reed and Metallica as a collaborative effort, back on October 31st, 2011. When this album first came out, it was widely panned by fans and critics alike. However, creative geniuses like David Bowie are on record as saying that this work would go down as Lou Reed's masterpiece and a masterwork for Metallica as well. Who was right? Join us as we find out. I'm Chaz Charles. Joining me is my co-host, Greg Wolf. Greg, say hello. Thanks very much, Chaz, for having
2: me on the podcast. Very excited to talk about Lulu And uh, Lou Reed and Metallica and all that other good stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Greg, we're going to sit and and dissect this track by track. But as we know, um, and, and, you know, you and I know, but let's, for the sake of our listeners, give them some context and some background. So uh, this work was inspired by a play that was written a long time ago by a gentleman, a German playwright, uh, Frank Benjamin Franklin Wiedekind, or Frank Wiedekind, as he went professionally. Uh, this play came out, oh gosh, what was it? Uh, let's see. It uh, came out as a series of two plays uh, called *Earth Spirit and Pandora's Box. *Earth Spirit was the first work released in 1895, um, and it uh, was followed up by a second play called Pandora's Box in 1904, and together... Uh, the two of them were uh, packaged up and it uh, looks like released or not released because they didn't really do that back then, did they? But uh, jointly considered a, a full body of work called Lulu or the Lulu plays. Um, so looks like they weren't actually so they were released, but it doesn't look like they were actually uh, produced. Uh, until, they were not staged at that time? Not staged until the 20s. It, it would appear. The production was not mounted. Let's see. Yeah. You know, you think we but, would want to know this. The play was adapted for film twice in the 20s. Okay. So the plays were actually. Interesting. Produced earlier. Yeah. And see, this is the thing, Greg, right? This is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to we're going we're gonna to learn and grow uh, uh, in our knowledge of this as we go along, because here's the deal. You come at this as being somebody who's got some background with Frank Wiedekind, and we'll go over that. Um, and I come at this from being just a fan of Metallica. And mm. so I think what we want to do is give. give- and, and don't forget, uh, Chaz, uh, also, I am a, a fan of Lou Reed. And exactly. That's where I was going to go in terms of the music and what brought us together on this as an original concept or uh, a project is that you're more of a Lou Reed fan than I am. And I'm certainly more of a Metallica fan than you are. And given that this work was so controversial and that we wanted to kind of take it from the, the aspect of just being a couple of guys who don't know much other than putting a CD in when we used to have those things and listen to them, um, we wanted to kind of uh, come at this from the, the place of being music fans and try and uh, see, you know, uh, is this, you know, work something that uh, was really ahead of, time, ahead of its time when it was released? Um, from a music standpoint, um, or was all the criticism justified, and it still deserves its place in the dustbin of uh, history. (laughs) And, And we have not listened to this work yet, so we're coming to it completely fresh. And that is our angle. You are coming to it completely fresh. I listened to it, I think, a grand total of one and a half times. When it was released in 2011, and I, I got to be honest, I don't own the CD anymore. Um, I haven't listened to it since. Uh, this was very much inspired by my friends over at the uh, pod and the podcast "Will Rock," uh, Corey and Mark, um, who do a uh, track-by-track dissection of the Van Halen catalog. Um, we, they they basically inspired this uh, this journey here on this. Uh, piece of music uh for the simple reason that we just want to um kind of come at this from the idea that you know we're fans of the music and um you know it's a, it's a, a journey of discovery it's a work that you haven't heard it was lou reed's last recorded work before he died And uh, I I heard it, like I said, one and a half times, but really haven't listened to it since and uh, really wrote it off when it came out like so many other people. But um, in the course of Discovery uh, lately, or uh, very recently, I should say, um, I uh, saw where David Bowie had made uh, a comment to Lou Reed's uh, widow, and I think you know her name, Lori um, Anderson, the, the Laurie, famous uh, musician Lori Anderson, right? Yeah. So Lou's, Lou's uh, widow uh, after the time of his death. Um, well, yeah, I guess she would. She would be a widow, of course, after he died. But anyway, um, David Bowie made the comment to her that this work, *Lulu*, was probably going to be regarded as Lou's masterpiece, and he, he basically said the same thing for Metallica as well. Uh, which was contrary to almost all of the uh, professional critics, all the fans uh, when this was released. So I've got a very high regard for David Bowie. I would imagine you do too. Certainly, we haven't really discussed Bowie. One of the greatest of all time, certainly. Right, exactly. So if right, so if he's seeing it that way, I think it deserves to be revisited. So, um, in the interest of fairness, uh, we're going back and we're going to revisit this. So. Um, you know what, Chaz? You and I are
2: nothing if not fair. Can I say that? We try. We try. We try.
1: Even and we want to talk a little bigger. bit about,
2: uh, Chaz, I don't know if, I don't want to jump the gun, but about uh, Frank Whittigan's, uh some yeah. of his other known works that maybe some of our listeners will uh, be familiar with. Well, and, and that's a great-
1: Great point, Wolfie. We want to get into that because really that was where you and I were just kind of catching up over the phone one day as friends and kind of just started talking about various things. When I brought up this concept, you immediately knew who Frank Wiedekin was. So why don't you tell our listeners um, why that is? How do you know Frank Wiedekin?
2: Well, and I think I think the, our listeners will, will, will maybe be uh, more familiar with this other work of his, which is Spring Awakening. And Spring Awakening had a a quite a successful run on Broadway, Uh, and uh, the two of the stars of of Spring Awakening were Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff. Who, to at least to those who. are familiar with some of the the happenings on Broadway. Are two uh, mm-hmm, two major mm-hmm. stars, and 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 also people would be familiar with Leah Michelle for her starring mm-hmm. role in the TV show Glee about the yeah. high school Glee Club. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, that that uh, show was also written by Frank, Frank Wiedekind and and uh, I think. Uh, as I said, was successful and probably more well-known to our listeners yeah. than his this work that we're talking about today, yeah. uh, or yeah, at least yeah. inspired by uh, this work uh, by Frank Wiedekin, uh, the the Lulu plays.
1: Exactly. And see, this is where this is great, because I am not, I was not familiar with him at all. Got to be honest, before we even talked about the concept of doing this uh, podcast, I hadn't read the Lulu plays. I basically, like I said, gave the album one listen and tossed it. Um, you know, understanding, you know, that there had been some inspiration somewhere, but not being a very big Lou Reed fan, you know, beyond uh, you know, the I would say Take a walk on the wild you know, side. You know, yeah, beyond taking right, right, you know, you know, give me your, your Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, you're poor, and you're hungry and I'll piss on them. I mean, other than that, I was really not a big fan of Lou Reed or quoting him. So there were basically two or three songs. Um, not a big fan of the Velvet Underground and and not really into that scene at all. Um, I'm a metalhead from way back, so I'm a material. But well, you are an Andy Warhol fan, right? And uh, uh,
0: well, in
2: that in that group in the Andy Warhol scene, uh, hanging yeah. out. Yeah. Vel- Velvet Underground being a band produced by Andy Warhol, and
0: yeah, I know you appreciate I his, couldn't
1: avoid his that. art. Yeah, but, you know, we, you and I are both uh, kind of natives of the Northeast there and being a, a part of the uh, New York creative scene back in the 90s. Yeah, you couldn't really be in that scene with uh, any credibility and, and uh, slag, either Lou Reed or Andy Warhol. So, no, I mean, I've never been active detractors of each, but, you know, honestly, not big fans. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a Metallica, you know, a member of the Club Alcoholica from when uh, way back when I was a kid. I uh, saw Metallica on, uh, let's see, I think the first time I saw them was on the Master of Puppets tour, when they were, first leg, when they were still in the theaters. So Capitol Theater uh, in, uh, where is that, Passaic, New Jersey, or somewhere there in New Jersey. Um, saw them in this old theater with Metal Church and have been a big Metallica fan uh, in predating a couple of those albums. I had a radio show in high school, used to play everything from Kill 'Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Justice for All, and up and up and up. Um, but then, you know, like everything else, we, we grow and we kind of move away from things and I kind of, uh, you know, moved away from uh, Metallica, I guess, as far as you could uh, in the 90s and the 2000s, although they were on the radio everywhere. The Black Album was certainly huge. Uh, did go to see them on the stadium tour with Guns N' Roses where they blew Guns N' Roses off the stage. Um, But beyond that, you know, um, didn't didn't really uh, ever have a connection to Lou Reed like I do with Metallica. So when this album came out, it was intriguing. And I was certainly there on the day. You know, we used to do this right back in the day. We would anticipate records coming out and go to the store and buy them and be among the first. Um, and now it's like I get the notification and it's just automatically there in Spotify, right? But um, yeah, I was really excited when it came out and I thought it was really interesting and at that point was more of a uh, you know, we are both musicians. I guess we should give that, our readers that context as well. You're a, a bass player and a guitarist and a vocalist, and I, I play guitar, play some drums, and uh, and and have uh, for all these years, and certainly back at that time.
2: We, we are two we are two gigging musicians.
1: That's uh, it. We're out there. We right play. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we'll we'll tell people later where they can get all you know where they can find us on uh, Twitter or Facebook or wherever we are Instagram I don't know of all the various things that you've got but we can certainly promote that later, Um, but yeah so you know I was much more I think at at the time when this came out again this is like the now what the early aughts or in 2011 um, my creative palette had expanded my musical tastes had expanded and I was excited to hear what could Metallica possibly do with Lou Reed. And uh, yeah, when I got it, I listened to it and was just like, "What the? What is this?" And it was just not my bag, baby. So, I don't know. I don't know,
2: Chaz, if you've had this experience of listening to music, and and we've both been listening to music for for our whole lives, practically, I think, and and paying a lot of attention, uh, I think, too. And and as we got older, especially. Um, but the experience I've often had is that um, when I uh, play a uh, an album for the first time, uh, sometimes um, I find that the ones that are are, are the ones that stick with me and the ones that have lasting mm-hmm. staying power with me to, to, to keep my attention and to have me coming back mm-hmm. again and again mm-hmm. are ones that maybe the first few listens, I'm, I'm, I'm not totally there yet. I'm not yeah. completely uh, drawn in or captivated. And, mm-hmm. and it takes me a little bit more work. I got to put a little more work into it before I get that you know, uh, that joy, uh, and excitement back out of the, the album. So the ones, often the ones that, 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 um, are, are the most pleasing on the first listen sort of have a, have a, a short shelf life, uh, and, 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 uh, you know, a little bit too, um, too, uh, sweet. Uh, you know, it's a, it's mm-hmm. a quick burst of, of, yeah. of, of pleasure. And then, you know what, you listen to it a few more times. I've had enough of this. Yeah. Yeah. Not not as much substance in it. Not as much depth.
1: Right. Yeah. They're more nostalgic or more of what you're familiar with or used to. And they just become very easy to consume. But yeah, particularly with big acts like that, right, that have a legacy, that have really deep catalogs. And especially if you're a fan, right, their newer works tend to be something that, you know, you think, oh, yeah, this is, you know, them kind of rehashing where they've been. It's very rare that artists that established in their careers will go out on the limb. And when they do, you're right. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Some of the works, um, I can think of some of my favorite bands of the genre, uh, just in hair metal. You know, Uh, I think we've talked a lot about my uh, favorite band, Def Leppard, over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we talk about Def Leppard, that's one band where uh, they just kind of re Revisit past glories again and again and again. Can't really say they're innovating or challenging or doing anything new. And Pour right. some sugar yeah. on me, right? Right, yeah. Pour some sugar on this with Shania Twain. She does that song too in her own way because she married Mutt Lane, but we won't go there. I digress.
2: But, um, but certainly someone like Lou Reed, uh, and you already pointed out, you know, having. Uh, some history with the Velvet Underground with Andy Warhol and, and right. that whole um, art factory scene back in the day. I mean, Lou is 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 a, is a, certainly an artist of substance uh, and is is a creative force. And, um, you know, even though we had some pop success, um, there, this is a this is a pretty heavy duty guy in terms of his artistic sensibilities,
1: I think. Exactly. So to come together with a band like Metallica, who by that point, you know, they started out in the underground, you know, and, uh, you know, gained their uh, popularity uh, without radio airplay. It was all trading basement tapes and bootlegs among fans. Right. You know, through the mail, across the seas uh, in the metal scene. And then here in the U.S., you know, it's a band from California. But. We'd certainly heard about them in the metal scene back in New York through that same network of tape traders and fanzines and, you know, all those things back in the day. And so this is a band that kind of started out, you know, underground metal uh, kind of got broke through commercially and was massively successful with people, uh, producers like Bob Rock when the Black album came and, you know, multi-million, multi-platinum success followed. Um, and so, yeah, to, to see the two of those working together was really when, when, you know, this whole concept was announced. Again, I was one of those guys that was the first in line by that point. I was like, okay, I really want to hear what they're doing, going with somebody as, as hardcore as Lou Reed, who is just so abstract at times. Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, some of his earlier works to me were just inaccessible audibly i just could not listen to them um i wanted to hear what could they do and uh, it's really interesting when you go and look at the uh the descriptions out on the internet and you look at uh you know what lou reed and metallica themselves had to say about the collaboration you know um lou reed was quoted as saying why is this surprising to anybody he said you know it's an odd collaboration would be metallica and share that would be odd us this is an obvious collaboration It's like, okay, whatever you're smoking, it's obvious, dude, but it wasn't to me. So I was excited and wanted to hear it. And again, when I did, uh, to your point, right, I I don't think at that time I was a, a mature enough musician to give it more than a couple of listens before making a decision and putting it away. And, and again, I, don't, I did not listen to the whole thing twice. It's about one and a half times. Gave it a second listen after that first listen, and it's just like, nope. This and
2: and you and at that time, I, I, I take it, uh, Chaz, you did not go back to the source material to Weedekind and read the Lulu plays no. in preparation for listening to this masterwork by uh, Lou Reed and Metallica. Is that exactly. correct? Did not do that, Greg. And but, that's but what we did do here. that this time. Greg, that's Chaz. right. Uh, we should probably t- uh, share with our listeners that we have, in fact, digested the Frank Wedekind's uh, source material for, that inspired uh, Lou Reed and Metallica to make this album, "The Lulu Plays." And 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 they're, um I don't know. I uh, I think we both had a pretty strong reaction to that uh, um, to to the work and to reading the play, uh, which is is a play. It's written in 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 you know, uh, it's a dialogue. Uh, between these characters uh and in these two parts that you you mentioned earlier um and uh i think we both had a pretty strong reaction it's about the central character named lulu who's a a a young woman at the beginning of of the plays anyway and uh i don't know any thoughts on the on the source material that you wanted to to bring up before we we play the, the first track
1: Yeah, the source material to me, quite frankly, was uh, at first disturbing. You know, as we kind of got into it, um, I kind of understood what it was about. And intentionally so, right? I think Wiedekind is a provocateur
2: um and uh uh, all his writing has a very strong sort of sexual element to it uh, and and theme uh, as spring awakening absolutely uh, as the title suggests and for for listeners who had, had seen that that show um, certainly has a very strong, you know, uh, uh, it's an awakening and a, and a sexual awakening and by, by these young people in the in the story, uh, and and so Wiedekind is definitely um, a writer of that genre, and and I think that you, you experience that in in your reading of
1: the yeah, play. Yeah. And, and what we learned, you know, what I learned by going to Wikipedia and trying to understand this individual a little bit more as we were kind of researching the source material is, uh, as you said, yeah, his uh, his uh, play, you know, uh, provocative at the time and even still through to this day. Um, he uh, he is basically, I guess, considered one of the uh, forefathers of uh, expressionism uh, in epic theater. Um, or in terms of developing the epic theater. And again, I'm not really a theater guy. I come at this as being a metalhead, so for me it was all new to kind of take this in and understand what his influence uh, was, but it was significant. And uh, as you've said, uh, the play Spring Awakening about sexuality and puberty uh, created a lot of scandal back in the day, Uh, contained scenes of homoeroticism, implied male masturbation, actual male masturbation, sadomasochism between a teenage boy and a girl, rape and suicide, as well as references to abortion. This was not last week, folks. This was 1891. So, you know, when you talk about the guy pushing the envelope and like even what we think about with artists today and how uh, some works are immediately criticized, uh, you know, as they're announced or when they're coming out. Uh, because of their themes, it's interesting to note that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Things have really not been different in the creative world uh, at all over the last hundred some odd years. Um, people are always pushing the envelope, and they continue to to this day because it's really all about pushing social norms, right, and pushing, pushing on societal norms. And I guess that's what he was really known for was uh, criticizing bourgeois attitudes towards sex uh, in his day.
2: Yeah, fascinating. So, uh, are we uh, are we getting close to uh, the point where we're going to listen the 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 unveiling, uh, the, the the big reveal of the first track? Or
1: I think we want to get there. Yes. So the we big reveal get. on this track is going to be that it's uh, again kind of based on Lulu. Um, And and I think, you know, Greg, is an interesting exploration of this. What we can kind of do is step into this um, as as we both kind of stepped into the the play. Right. So trying to understand what we're what we're dealing with here. So as the, uh, you know, uh, whole play concept as the whole thing begins uh let's just go over really quickly what we see as the plot and i'm taking the plot directly from what we've found on wikipedia so our listeners don't need to do that for themselves but uh, essentially here it is in the nutshell folks the setup in the prologue the characters in this drama are introduced by an animal tamer as if they're creatures in a traveling circus Lulu herself is described as the true animal, the wild, beautiful animal in the primal form of a woman. And that was actually really interesting as the play started, started, kind, of, kind of comes in. Uh, you see what would, you know, I think today very you know, clearly be called misogynistic attitudes toward this uh, woman in a cage who's being stroked and kind of, you know, uh, you know, put on display. And I think at a certain point even picked up and he's touching her or fondling her, Right or at least that's what's being described uh, in the first few uh, stanzas. And and to me, I was just, wow, kind of blown away what we were seeing and and just that whole context of this thing was, you know, written back in the 1890s. Um, But, you know, from there, it kind of gives us the theme of where it goes. And essentially, it's her story um, of, you know, her entry into, I guess, what's described as the uh, sexual underworld of Germany at that time. Um, So, you know, with that, this is uh, the the setup for uh, what we're getting into uh, with the the work by Lou Reed and Metallica. So um, do you think there's any more background we want to go into, Greg, before we roll this first track? Um, Essentially, she gets into this world. Uh, She is, of course, taken in uh, by a number of different men. And, oh... Uh, there's the caveat uh, that she ends up murdering, I think, most of the men that come into her life. And at a certain point, she ends up on the tip of a blade herself. And that's kind of how the whole story resolves. Yeah, and, and she, she seems to be this, this
2: you know, very, very alluring, very beautiful young woman that is irresistible, I think, to these men and and. Young men and older men, but ends up with with several different husbands, and 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 um, as you say, uh, a lot of murder uh, involved, a lot of intrigue, and and she she sort of seems like. Uh, the men that she gets involved with sort of know that she will destroy their lives. She will ruin them, but they can't resist. They anything. cannot resist. That is it. And, and I and, think, and, and so it repeats over, as you said, uh, over and over through through the play, uh, and and then right, and then at the end, uh, her her ultimate destruction at the end of the play as well. But uh, no, I just I, I think that's a good setup uh, to get us uh, into the first track, which I'm. At the uh, edge of my seat here uh, here we are. anticipation right. uh, hopefully our listeners are um, also at the edge of their seat with anticipation <laughs> at hearing this this work and and we'll see um, you know if if we uh, you know we side with David Bowie or we we side with some of the more mainstream music critics and and even Chaz himself whose uh, initial review, Um, what was your review of the, uh, album in a nutshell?
1: Um, not favorable. uh, Yeah. I think I said biggest piece of shit ever committed to, uh, the musical lexicon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. um, (laughs) that is, that was my, uh, completely, uh, fan based, uh, Metallica fan based opinion and um quite frankly haven't heard it since so i can't even you know truthfully recall why did i think that other than what i can you know vaguely remember in my mind so uh with that we're going to dive right in because i think this is going to be really cool you've never heard this um and so uh you know again i think uh the element of surprise is uh here for us and our listeners and so without further ado, let's dive in. There are, and just to, to one more piece of context for our listeners, there are 10 tracks on this album. So you're looking at a podcast that maybe has 10 or 11 episodes. we got a very limited shelf life here. We're just going through this thing track by track, and we'll get to the end and say, okay, as a whole body of work, where did we land? We're going to judge each individual track. And then as it's all totaled at the end as a complete body of work. So with that, We will get into track one off of Lulu by Metallica and Lou Reed. This is called Brandenburg Gate. Here we go.
0: cut my legs and tits off when I think of Boris Karloff and Kinski in the dark of the moon. He made me dream of Nosferatu trapped on the Isle of Dr. Moreau. Oh, wouldn't it
1: be lovely? Okay, right out of the box. What the hell is this? Did they put the wrong album in my uh, jack in the sleeve here? What's going on? Okay, so much to digest there. My God, the references alone. Okay, so where's he going? He's going uh, Boris Karloff, Kinski, not for us two, Dr. Moreau. Wouldn't it be lovely? What the hell is this man talking about, Greg? We've read the plays right out of the box. Where's Lou coming
2: from? Uh, any idea, Chaz? I mean, uh, you know, I, I got to hear more. I think before yeah, I can I uh, make too much of a. Uh, but yes, he, he's. Uh, I think he's. He's obviously shocking us uh, right from the get-go. Yeah. He wants to be. You know, provocative as his inspiration, uh, Frank Wittekind always would would be provocative. Uh, So Lou is is very much in that same uh, mode, I think, of of right out of the gate. Uh, I would
1: cut my legs and tits off.
2: Not not yeah, not pulling any punches right out of the gate. So (laughs) and and in in a very Lou Reed style, sort of a talk sing style that Lou was known for. Yeah. 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 Interesting that, that musically all we're hearing is an acoustic guitar right
1: now. Yeah, I was going to uh, so, say, the finger styling isn't, exa- I mean, that, that's, uh, that doesn't even sound like what I would expect from Lou Reed. I, I would no, because Lou mostly, yeah, Lou
2: is an electric guitar player primarily with a yeah. little, little distortion and he, he likes to, to play the electric a lot. Yeah. So, um, that yeah, it's an interesting opening, uh, but certainly uh, vocally it is classic Lou Reed.
1: Uh, yeah you know it, it hurts my ears i would imagine like it hurt the ears of those at the you know that at the folk festival when bob dylan picked up an electric guitar mm-hmm. i'm hearing Reed. you know Lou Reed, like you just said Lou Reed in my mind is you know distorted electric very abstract you know other than those couple of pop hits and i hear this and go oh my god that's not what i expected at all and you know i'm sorry where's metallica i want to know who's playing that guitar <laughs> I, 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 I would say um
2: Chaz, that that lyrically, um, it, to me anyway, my initial reaction is that it's not out of character for the for way Lou, Lou yeah. writes. I mean, yeah. he's he writes abstract. He has a lot of references, and um, it, you know, he's 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 being he's always being provocative. He's being poetic. It's you know, that's that's the way he approaches songs. So so that part of it does not. I don't find jarring in any way. Uh, I think it's very, uh, um, you know, in keeping with what Lou does. So, yeah. uh, you, but the guitar, I think, is a little, you know, I mean, nothing wrong with that. And I think, you know, him coming in with with the acoustic as as the, you know, the very first um, part of the recording and of the whole album, the fir- the beginning of the first track. Um, you know, is sometimes that can be a way to uh, ease people in a little bit. You know, we don't come in strong with the full band uh, at full at full level. We 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 have a little bit of a, of, a, you know, an opening. We 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 uh, have a prelude, uh, which which is a little bit to 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 sort of bring the, the listener in a little bit before we hit him over the head, you know, yeah. uh, musically, sonically.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and it should be noted, too, that really he, he was the uh, driver of this. Very, uh, Metallica very much considered themselves his band for the project. But this is all Lou. So this is Lou driving it. So not influenced by what we know to be James Hetfield of Metallica, his, uh, his lyrical uh, This This was all Lou. And they were a hired band. Um, you know or you know collaborator sort of yeah. like bob yeah. dylan in the band right yeah exactly exactly this was uh very much uh that collaborative effort of them uh from what i've read uh, lars ulrich is uh the drummer of metallica kind of quoted as uh lou had this body of work and wanted them to punch it up and so that's where they do that at some point i do know there's metal coming on this album and i think it's uh what i can see in the sound signature coming next so let's take a listen Ah
0: well time. Yeah. Oh there's game. Pretty as I to the I was feeling happy. perhaps I'd been napping if I'd just stayed Small town I will wait for I can tell yeah, you about on a midnight ship. A graveyard romance can only be one chance as a two-stone tree Small town girl
1: Okay. I was thinking Peter Lorre when things got pretty gory as I crossed to the Brandenburg Gate. So we're clearly set in Berlin, which is where the play starts for sure. Right. And I think as we know in the play, I'm just going to kind of go back to the source material. Right. Opens up with her being in the already uh, in the company of a couple of men. Um, I think Dr. Goal, which was, I think, her first husband, in, if I'm That's not right. wrong. That's right, yep. Her first yeah, husband. Dr. Goal. Then there's a couple other people that perhaps, as people, if they want to know the source material, uh, this Dr. Schoen, um, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's got the two, like the Motley Crew, you know, the, the two dots over the O and the two dots over the U. What's that called? Is that the uh, umlaut? Ah, there you go. You're much smarter than I am, so I'll take your word for it. It, it, you sounded very authoritative with that. i uh, will we'll mm, not positive that. about that, but, okay. maybe, but maybe. So Dr. Schoen, um, so, um, yep. uh, he's, he's a newspaper owner and an editor, and I think he is really her chief. Uh, <laughs> these days, I think we would call him pimp, but uh, sponsor, <laughs> if you will. Benefactor, you know, maybe. What's that? Benefactor, Benefactor, if I can use Benefactor. that term. Yeah, if we, we can use that term as the good doctor in uh, My Fair Lady, right? Uh, the the uh, uh, noble uh, character played by Rex uh, Rex Harrison in, in that. Uh production right and that's really i wanted to mention as i was reading this it was one of the things that kind of struck me is that it really did seem like uh, the setup in the play was that they took this kind of ragamuffin off the streets dusted her off and the way it was setting up in the play it did seem like it was more of a uh um you know i would say um you know a benefactor type situation but it very quickly devolves into oh no Uh, This Dr. Goal has got some stuff going on uh, behind the green door, if you know what I'm implying. Um, And that kind of sets the mood pretty early on for what she is involved with and where she is. But as we learn later in the play, she was taken off the streets at a young age, by 14 or 15, as the play goes. Uh, by this Dr. Schoen, put into the clutches of this Dr. Goll. And there are a bunch of other characters that we'll meet as we'll go along. Um, Alva, the doctor's son, who becomes pretty central to her life uh, through both uh, part one and part two. Um, But here, what Lou is talking about, Peter, Laurie, and even some of the other references. I mean, I got to look back, but I'm thinking he's contemporized this because, I don't think these folks were around and doing their thing when the source material was uh, created. No. So I think we're already kind of moving forward in time with what Lou has put forward. And I'm seeing really this is more of an inspiration, not a direct yeah. interpretation.
2: Yeah. So far, it seems definitely to be much more of just, um, you know, and I'm I'm not. Besides some of you know what we already touched on with just in broad terms, uh, you know, being provocative and different things like that, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not hearing any specific connections uh, to to the source material yet.
1: No, but I, I am hearing something that would in, imply um, murderous horror types of things, right? Yes, so and it may be that loose.
2: Yeah, it may be just, you know, sort of thematically, you know, some of these themes that, that Whittakin touches on in the Lulu plays um, yeah. that, that, that um, inspired Lou. And yeah, it'll uh, be so we'll say, as, I guess we will yeah.
1: learn, right? Well, yeah, I mean, already we got a couple of classic vampire references. So we got an actor, you know, uh, and a character, both in the vampire genre. And now we've got Peter Lorre. I don't know if he played a, a vampire at any point, but certainly he played horror characters over his career. So we've yeah. got all these references already to horror and gore. Um, small you- town girl being refrained over and over and over by James Hatfield, Kind of talking about who, who this character is in the background.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe they're are they, you think uh, they
1: are referencing sort of a Lulu-type
2: character as
1: the small-town girl? I think Lulu is being referred to as, yeah, she's the small-town girl, and I'm not sure yet if she is the horror of these characters or if these are the characters that she's falling in with, you know what I mean? So yes. I think that'll kind of reveal itself, as, as it did in the play very early we see immediately a young, attractive, naive girl in the clutches of these men. And I think as, as she, you know, sophisticates over the course of the play and becomes the, uh, you know, the, the, the aggressor, if you will, um, or more than manipulator. Um, I wonder if we're going to see that here. So this, what we're seeing is, you know, we keep hearing James, small town girl, small town girl. Uh, the next line uh, in this is, uh, I was feeling snappy. Perhaps I'd been napping. And I had just ate. Small town girl! Uh, A following heart can tear you apart on a midnight to eight shift. A graveyard romance can only give one chance as the tombstones weave and breathe. Wow.
2: Lou is deep. Lou is deep. Um, Can I ask you a question, uh, Chaz? Um, Yeah. What was your, as a Metallica fan, what was your response to the music that the band is playing behind these Lou Reed lyrics uh, in this yeah. first uh, minute or so of of, of some metal uh, from from the from the boys?
1: Well, it was immediately familiar. I think if uh, you know, I think at this time, Put it this way. When I first heard James singing Small Town Girl over and over and over again in the background, I was like, oh, my God, are you putting James Hetfield in the role of a small town girl? Is this a self-proclamation? What the hell is this? No, I I wasn't having it. Uh, But the music itself, you know, I mean, it's pretty pedestrian. It was kind of slow for Metallica, but that's where they were at the time. And it's very much representative of that sound. So this was all very familiar with the very commercially successful Metallica. By this point, but, but nothing
2: too interesting to you about. Not it. at
1: all. No. In fact, it was like I said, too slow. It was, you know, a little bit, Just you know, ordinary. Like a nothing ordinary. special. Yeah. yeah, was not impressed at all. No, and you know, quite frankly, uh, <laughs> didn't start me off on a good note. So let's see where it goes from here. Afternoon. I said, going. The it All right, I love that. I love that. So, Lou, I dreamt of breeze is going through the trees. I mean, you know, Lou is Dr. Seuss. That's something I would totally expect from Lou Reed. That was great. I,
0: heart I keep my heart.
1: Okay, so yeah, he sounds drunk. So if you're talking about absinthe here, I think back in 2011, I was aware of absence because I, I think I had read a story somewhere that Marilyn Manson had smuggled some into the country and uh, had been drinking some. And, and uh, you know, so apparently very psychedelic. Right. Very. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. very Powerful. Uh, right. Drug. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm already dangerous, into- I believe, as well. Right. Exactly. Like
2: for long term mental
1: health. Right. And even even death.
2: Right. I think it can be very, uh, you know, tricky stuff. So, yeah. um, So so we're hearing
1: an element of some poison kind of being introduced to this. Right. Some. Oh, gosh. I mean feeling happy when my heart got beating on a Sunday afternoon. So is it that this small town girl is now in the big city? And, you know, I mean, because you know, again, kind of going back to the song is called Brandenburg Gate. Is this a small town girl arriving in Berlin with big town dreams? Right. That would
2: that certainly would make sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, by the name and, and all of that. And we know that if he's if he's looking to. The play, um, as you said earlier, and, and Lulu is, is in uh, in Germany and in Berlin. That that uh, that maybe that that would be a, a good opening and, and get get our main character, our heroine, uh, onto the scene, right, to uh, bring her into position for what happens next. Um, so maybe that's what Lou's doing. One thing I would say musically, uh, uh, you, you had commented a bit a bit about the, the Metallica and, and what you were hearing. Uh, to me, I, I'm a big fan of Lou's style of singing and, and talk singing that he does with his band, uh, where Lou is playing his guitar, uh, which is in much more of a rock, Style, uh, and he he has a, a a nice usually a sort of a, a, a supple R and B sort of bass and drum groove behind him. Usually a a, a very spare arrangement, um, and uh, he um, you know his his vocals I find really works well for him in what he does musically, where he where he has that that type of a sound. And those and those more bluesy R and B rock soul influences, um, and and it's very effective. I don't find it terribly effective with what he's doing vocally on top of the Metallica uh, music. It seems like it really, to me, is is not pleasing. It's not uh, compelling. It doesn't seem to work well for me. His his arrangements are very spare usually, and his vocal is very much out front, I find, in his yeah. music. And and it's more like, uh, and, and the music really supports it uh, yeah. uh, in an effective, really effective way, powerful way that I find the Metallica music diminishes what he's saying, I find.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you said, I mean, it, to me, it sounds forced. It sounds like this is a mashup. It sounds like maybe, you know, it's supposed to be, what do they call that? Uh, Oh, um, you know, the the spoken word, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, all those mashup kind of of situations where it's just, you know, this combination. I'm losing some of those vocals because Metallica is so powerful. Um, I'm kind of distracted by James Hetfield, you know, again, kind of repeating that in the background. I'm not really connecting the two at this point now. It's kind of getting lost for me, right? I'm kind of like, okay, sonically, Uh, where is this going? As you said, not pleasing to the ears at all. To me, quite frankly, I think when it came out, my closest comparison was Two Virgins by John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Mm. Um, Just Unlistenable. I was like, wow, I can't even get through the first track. Interesting.
2: Yeah. All right, Uh, should we uh, see if we can power on? Let's go. I'm just a small town girl
0: Small town girl The cook got drunk and all the horses They shrunk under the size of the desert place Small town girl I'm happy because I got under the nappy And some opium just let his tray Small town girl Small town girl I want to give it a whirl
1: Okay, so we were right. So you, you probably, you need to, you need to, I don't know that you would have understood. Did you understand a word of that, Greg, just here, Not really, not really. Okay, okay, so I don't know if you're reading along like I am, but uh, <laughs> we talk about this. The cook got drunk, and all the whores, they shrunk onto the size of dessert plates. But me, I'm happy because I got my little nappy and some opium to set me straight. She's a small-town girl. (laughs) I'm a small-town girl who wants to give it a whirl while my looks still hold me straight, Mm -hmm. straight up to illusion and fantasy's fusion of reality mixed with drink. So I think we were kind of spot on with where we were kind of analyzing this earlier, where, where we landed. Yeah. Um, yeah. God.
2: And I think, you know, those are themes that that Lou Reed, I think, um, you know, that are not foreign to him and he was very all. much in this, you know, a very a drug culture of the 60s in New York and in uh Greenwich Village and all of that scene that and music rock. and yes. and the art scene and the Andy Warhol factory scene and and you know, psychedelics were all of that stuff happening. And so this is something, you know, that is, is, is a theme that, that makes sense with that Lou would be uh, talking about. And um, but also does comport with, with Frank Wittekind and, and, you know, the, the Lulu character and, and, and all that was going on with her um and and in that scene um which is it's kind of interesting that maybe one of the things lou uh was attracted to was that the um the art scene and and some of the scene in berlin in that time period was very relatable to him to a new york city in the 60s you know yeah. there's a lot of similar you know things that he could connect with well uh, one thing i wanted to bring up uh Chaz, musically that um that, um, I felt in this last minute or so 30 seconds that you just played um, is I got a little bit of um, cause we were, we're talking about um, some of these uh, musicians and mashups and, and backing bands. And we talked about um, Bob Dylan and, and, and how he was backed by the band uh, yeah. for, for some, when he started playing in a more electric style and, and moving away from his acoustic folk roots, um, that uh, what I heard, uh, the connection I made was Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Hmm. I don't know if you are familiar with that, but Crazy Horse was also a very uh, heavy rock uh, sound band. Um, they're, They're not a heavy metal band, but they're sort of a heavy rock band that had very loud drums, very distorted guitars, very thrashing beat and, and, and Neil, uh, you know, who also had that side of him, you know, not a, not exactly like Dylan, but was an acoustic player, was a, a, yeah, has yeah. Some folk roots as well. And then, of course, very famous for playing with Crosby, Stills and Nash and, 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 and that sort of um, acoustic uh, rock sound crazy horse and neil was known for also probably like lou he's an artist and he experimented with a lot of different sounds um a lot of different styles one of them though that he played with uh for for quite a while was this that band crazy horse yeah and, and um you know if you listen i don't know if you can hear it too Is That where but, we got
1: rocking in the free world or was that neil on his own
2: no that was a little different but but um I don't think that was with Crazy Horse, but if if and maybe we can we can queue up some Crazy Horse at some point yeah. to listen to, to, to Neil uh, singing with that band. Um, because I think there's a parallel to it musically that that if we back this track up 30 seconds and listen to that and see if you can hear, you know, Neil yelling over Crazy Horse uh, a little bit in the, in in what we're hearing with um, with Lou uh, singing. uh being backed by metallica
1: yeah to me this is like slam poetry you know being thrown in over at that point what was the world's biggest metal band and world's biggest metal band just repeating one riff over and over i think that was one of the things that really bothered me about this too was that the song didn't go anywhere sonically with metallica it was the same riff over and over again even with the uh you know the harmonizing that's going on it's just that's just being repeated it's like they just looped it but, uh, so, I, I think it does get though to that
2: point that we were talking about which is there's no question that lou is demanding a lot of the listener here yes yeah he's 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 you know when you when you're reading these lyrics uh out uh and stopping the the track and and, and reading these lyrics He's, he's also giving a lot. I mean, he, clearly there's a lot going on lyrically in in, yeah. in Lou's mind. And, and you know, because we know that there's a, cl- a connection to Frank Whittakin's plays, you know, this is not a superficial album. This is not a guy just repeating a lyric uh, and having nothing else behind it, right? right? You know, this is not a superficial track. In my mind, um, you know whether it's effective, whether it is compelling. You know those are other questions, but um, he's de- it's clearly demanding of the listener. This is Very not, demanding program. Not an easy listen. He's not you know, just having a, we're not having a great time. This is not a party track that we're going to, you know, sit around <laughs> with some friends and- This isn't Van hey, Halen, hey,
1: baby. Does no. anybody
2: want to dance? You know, right. I'm going to flip yeah, on some yeah. Lulu. Uh, but it, but as a piece of art, and I think that's where Bowie was going, you know, that this yeah. there's this is a profound piece of work. Uh, and, and and obviously we know that, that there's a lot of art out there that is very demanding of the listener or the viewer. Uh, when you look at modern art and you say, I don't get it. This looks like this guy, Jackson Pollock, looks like he just threw some paint against the wall. What's, <laughs> what's the big deal here?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Wolfie. I'm just uh, seeing this as a, a very demanding uh, prologue to what is to come. Uh, th- this setup has given us, like you said, a lot of meat and I'm just kind of bringing it back to the prologue of the play, the play itself. Right. So, you know, the setup is you have his animal tamer. He's on stage. He's got Lulu been brought out in a cage. You know, he's been tickling under Lulu's chin. Uh, he's talking about her, you know, in a way that is, you know, she's described as someone who is, you know, designed by nature to lure, seduce, poison, yay, murder in a manner no man knows. My pretty beast, right? To be unaffected and not pierced out with distorted artificial folly, even if the critics praise the fort less holy. Just hearing that whole, like, you know, mm-hmm. what he's describing there. Same mm-hmm. thing I'm hearing from Lou here. He's setting this girl up. We're getting to know her. She's a small town girl coming to Berlin with big ideas at this point. I'm seeing a little more innocence in Lou's character, frankly, right now. Than what we were kind of being told, Lulu was all about. I don't know if you're seeing it that same way, but I,
2: you know, at the beginning, uh, it, you know, and 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 to be fair, um, you know, you and I just did a, a did a you know a fairly quick reading of the Lulu plays. We have not seen, I have not certainly no. seen what it looks like performed, which would would probably give us a lot more sense of 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 the play or if we'd seen even you know more than one staging of of that play what different directors thought about this yeah how, different
1: interpretations
2: how, how they yeah perfect yeah, yeah. yeah how they interpreted it um well, you know but, that's
1: something we can do over the course of our podcast right yeah. as we kind of get into this we can do some research in between episodes come back with some found content without going forward and uh, yeah. see what we can uh, Drawn. But, I, but I, I do, you know, I guess my reading of it uh, from
2: just from the text, from Whittakin's text, is that, you know, um, Lulu's discovering herself a bit uh, yeah. as the as the plays uh, move forward. And as she grows and has these different experiences, she's trying to understand the world and herself, I think, and and and. She is, is um, you know, going from being a very young woman to have a, having had a lot of uh, different experiences and and looking at the world uh, differently. Certainly, as the second part, you know, reaches the end, that's yeah, a bit different Lulu, I think, than a much different than the, than the girl we met at. You know, at the very beginning. So, right.
1: And you've got this setup, right? So, to, to go back to the play, thou hast no right to spoil the shape most fitting, uh, uh, most true of women with meows and spitting and mind all foolery and making faces the childish simpleness of vice disgraces. So, yeah, it's that idea that there's some innocence here. So, I take it back. There is some innocence kind of being conveyed in the Lulu character as we mm-hmm. start out. Right. And basically at the end of that prologue, what does he say? He turns it over, you know, to this beast. And the beast, as it turns out, is, you know, the public, the honored public, right? Um, that has just walked into this scene. And, you know, it's kind of for you to judge where this all goes. All right, let's jump back into the music. Because we got about a minute left, a little less than a minute. I might let
0: A reality is betrayed. I'm just a small town girl who's gonna give life a world. Looking at the French in Burgate. Hey, I'm just a small town girl. Small town girl giving life a world. Looking at the fringe in Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just a small town girl. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Ah, just
1: All right. Well. That was Brandenburg Gates. So, okay, this is going to hurt my brain because now we know Lou is the voice of Lulu. So this is what we're hearing. Oh, my God, he's the small-town girl. Yeah, when I first heard this, Come on, we're coming off of, you know, monster success. I mean, enter Sandman, you know, wherever I may roam, uh, you know, Master of Puppets, Ride the Lightning, Whiplash. I mean, the, the legacy that was Metallica, hearing James Hetfield relegated to this background you know kind of you know Supreme's kind of role <laughs> it just is not working for me and even in Lou Reed's very avant rock kind of world I that hurt my brain when I first heard it yeah this was not a great
2: you, but you, you were not me. in a place and a, you were not in a frame of mind to to listen to this this piece of, of music and this piece of art I don't think Good uh, you Lord, no. you're, but you're but but you know, with some years uh, under the tires now, right? Some miles. um...
1: Yeah, and some distance from all the, you know, Chemically induced in nights of listening to you know hard heavy music, uh, yeah. Some um, more perspective on life as a as
2: a person and a and a father now uh, for yeah, many right. years, father and, of a of a daughter, right? So yeah, kind of yeah, trying to um, your perspective, right? You're and and you know having listened to that much more music, played that much more music as a musician yourself. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we both are in a in a in a place uh, where we can listen to this in a different way than we would have 10 or 20 years ago, for sure. Well, we can,
1: but I can't, can't get into a different album. years ago, when did
2: it? What year did it come out?
1: Yeah, 2011. So okay. no, um, it's not that old. It's not. It's when not. But I couldn't have listened to this
2: 30 years ago. I don't think my head would have been in the right
1: frame of mind. Probably. No, certainly not. No, certainly if I, you know, no, the kid coming out of high school who was, you know, the big fan. So if like Metallica had done this, like say, you know, after uh, they their seminal release, you know, "And Justice for All." which for me, quite frankly, was a departure in their sound musically. And I had already started like, whoa, where's this band going from what I know and love as, you know, the tape trading kid, uh, very commercial, very overproduced. Um, to, to If I had tried to consume this then, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten past Lou Reed's acoustic guitar before I threw the thing out. So, yeah, um, I you know, I can be a little more objective now. I can appreciate that they're coming from a very uh, complex work. Uh, it was complex for its time. it was certainly it's still complex to these days as we as we described, right? Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see as we in fact, as we uh, go down this path, Greg, on this journey to see who has produced this, what are those interpretations like? Is it any more or less challenging society, you know in in terms of a societal lens today as it was back in uh, when it was originally produced? And then uh, too, there are a few theatrical releases um, that were uh, in the 20s, um and i think the 40s so i'm gonna kind of check that source material out too as we kind of go along and just to see what were the movies like relative to if we can find any uh productions of the the play itself but um yeah first impression though still i'm kind of like wow especially that middle that third verse where lou just really does sound like a drunken whore i mean i just like what is going on with that i i'm just i'm not there i uh I I wish I could say I've immediately dropped the bias and I'm looking at this more like Mr. Bowie, but uh, it's going to be some work, man. There's going to be some work on this because it's brought back a lot of memories. So for for me, um, you know, being new uh, to this, Greg. Yeah, how does this yeah. really? I mean, how does it
2: hit you as a Lou Reed it's, fan? how's it hit you? As a Lou Reed fan, but also, and and not as a Metallica fan in mm-hmm. any significant way. Being aware of their music, but not. Well, yeah, music. let's time out there. So you know, tell give us some of like some of the Metallica songs you're familiar with. I don't think I can can actually give you any off the top of my head. Enter if you name some,
1: which one, Sandman? Enter Sandman. Right. Yeah, I'm sure so I know, know that one. Don't say a word, right? So everyone knows that one. Yep. Um, are you a fan of that the, the Netflix show Stranger Things? They've gotten a lot of yes. press release yep. recently, right? So um, Eddie Munson, the main you know character, one of the main characters in that show, right? He uses the song Master of Puppets to to mm-hmm. hold off um, uh, number one, right? Okay. So. Of it in the finale of uh, last season. Yeah, um, I've I, I definitely
2: heard the music. I've seen some of the video of them performing, uh, and, and and you know, but I but I haven't spent time with it. And, and right, really so you're really I tested it. Cold. So it's it's very background to me, uh, sort of peripheral music. Um, but certainly, you know, listen to uh, uh, probably I've listened in terms of like sort of. What I, at least what I think of as heavy metal, what I've probably heard the most of is ACDC, I would say. Okay.
1: Okay. So, yeah, Um, not really going to be in genre at all. So, maybe, maybe. And I'm a fan, you know, I would
2: consider myself a fan of that and what they do. I like like their music. Um, Yeah, more hard um, rock.
1: More hard rock than I would say classic heavy metal and yeah. certainly in the vein of Metallica. So I think maybe one of the outcomes of our little exploration here is uh, I can clue you into what was what is the uh, the genius of Metallica in their genre. Right. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. As Lou Reed is gene, genius and, and, and granddaddy in avant rock, um, maybe uh, help you appreciate more where Metallica comes uh, into play and, and yeah. greatness. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah so I think, cool. yeah, that's a good point. Like, so,
2: and, and, you know, I've, I've definitely listened to, you had, you had mentioned Guns N' Roses, and I've definitely listened to that music mm-hmm. more than Metallica. And, and I guess that also falls, falls more into a, a heavy rock than a metal, yeah. metal genre.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, right. And so Metallica, right. I think, you know, at the end of the day, what you're hearing in, the, in this, not what Metallica's known for. No, not yeah. at all. Other than the tone. So the yeah. tone is very representative of where they were at the time with their commercial sound. But beyond that, no, the, the speed and the precision and the the and certainly the lyrical content and just you know, where James is in the mix. He's always out front. He's got a very big commanding voice. Mm. And, uh, and he's
2: relegated to this backup singer role. huh?
1: Well, and now we're hearing Lou saying he's, he's the small town girl. So now I can't help it, in my mind but hearing James say the same damn thing.
2: Yeah, and it's a gender, but you know, uh, Lou has always been one for for bending genders. So take a walk yeah. in the
1: wild side, baby. You're not yeah, going to uh, see those themes in Metallica music as well. So, right, going back to the first quote that we talked about from Lou Reed, that this was an obvious collaboration. No, I'm sorry, not no, at all, no, not, not, at all. No. not at all. Okay, so Greg, at the end of the the first track, first listen, yes. are we thinking, yeah, we're we're like, let's just let's judge the track on its own. Thumbs up, thumbs down, and we got to come up with a more creative way to judge this. And I think I'll find some sound bites as we go along, and this will evolve over time. But let's give guess, a quick pass. Are you giving it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Well, I don't know if I want to, you know, use that
2: um, scale, but but I, I'll give you my reaction to. The <laughs> All, right
1: give, give, All give right, give us your scale.
2: I, I and I think this is it, it's unfair, you know, based on what we've talked about uh, to judge the track based on one listen. Um, okay, I, think it, well, I think it's unfair. So I can't. I can't give you a fair assessment of it because because it it, it is too demanding, in my opinion, to to judge it uh, that superficially. Um, okay. And it, you know, it would be like saying fair, you know, uh, read the first uh, couple pages of Dante's Inferno and tell me if it's a good poem. You know, <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs> I am not, I really cannot. Uh, a funny story, I, I, I did take a class on on the divine comedy in college, and I had a professor in, who taught that class, and he said that when he was a student, maybe a grad student, he took a class with a professor, and they started the class by reading just the first page of Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. uh, and they spent the entire semester on the first page of Dante's Inferno, and at okay. the end of the class, the professor apologized for giving it such a cursory um, judgment uh, so that... <laughs> <laughs> okay well i don't uh, know that exactly. that always started to work that always stuck with me and and i'm not okay. sure comparing this work to dante um maybe it, it it deserves that comparison maybe not i don't think we were in a position to judge that yet but hopefully as we continue down this path we will be in more of a position but what i would say is that from what I heard on that track, I am intrigued by what Lou is doing, and I think that there's something here that certainly makes me want to listen further and understand what he's up to here and and what he um, is gonna is putting forth in this in this ten track um, album. Okay. Um, and so and and I, I'll also say uh, Chaz that. Um, you know, when it started, I would say the first couple of minutes halfway through, I already mentioned that musically it was not working for me. I didn't feel that lose vocals on that on those background tracks were were doing anything for me. But then as we got maybe two thirds of the way, I started to hear Neil Young with Crazy Horse, which we'll have to do a little listen yeah. to yeah. and see, see if that comparison holds up for you. Um, which I do think Neil Young is very effective with Crazy Horse, even though he also has primarily a different rock and folk, acoustic rock genre that he's associated with. But he's known for both, I think, with heavy music and acoustic music, um, Neil. And um, and then by the end, that last part where I know you were you were laughing and and um, getting a <laughs> chuckle out of what they were doing, but I thought that. That the last 30 seconds musically was the best, uh, most effective, lose vocal on top of what Metallica was doing. Okay, and and if I can bring in another, um, example, it, it I started to hear a little bit in that last 30 seconds of Axl Rose. Singing the Bob Dylan song "Knocking on Heaven's Door" with a hugely heavy rock Guns N' Roses band behind him, Uh, and as you know, "Knocking on Heaven's Door," the Bob Dylan track uh, is is a much you know Dylan is much is more of an acoustic player originally, and and is a very different genre. Okay. Uh, than then what Guns N' Roses does but I, I, I like that track and I like what Guns N' Roses and Axel does when singing that Dylan uh, song and, and I was hearing a little bit of that you know really strong groove that really strong uh, guitar and um, uh, drum sound that, that Metallica was putting down on that last 30 seconds and, and hearing Lou's vocal sort of come into its its strongest uh i i thought its strongest uh um sound of the whole um song which is about a four and a half minute song i thought that lasts 30 seconds to me musically just musically there's you know a lot of a lot of uh, uh words and lyrics and all of that going on here but just musically that i thought You know, not that I I thought it was a really powerful musical track, because I I thought I think it is problematic, and and there's a a, you know a lot of things that are not very compelling about it musically. I thought, you know, that it got better. I think it got for me, and also because better, okay, that that, you know, and the way we listen to it in pieces, right? Yeah, um, you know, I had time to digest it a little bit because we, we talked about, as, as we talked about the track going through it in pieces, I could absorb it a little bit and digest it. And then I li- and it was almost like I was listening again when we would start back up and with fresh ears, but having some a little bit of background uh, in my head as to what it is that I'm listening to and, and how, can I, how do I listen to it and how do I judge it. And so I felt like by yeah. the last 30 seconds, I was in a position to listen to it and judge it more for what Lou was trying to communicate. And I think I was getting it a little more. It's it's a it's a very difficult track, and and certainly not very accessible musically or lyrically. Um, but but I think by the end I started to get a little bit on on the same page with where Lou was trying to bring us.
1: All right, I, you know, and I'm going to give that to you, Greg. I I'm a, a, you know uh, the same place, Wolfie. as is I as we're doing this stop, start, stop, start, and we're gathering some context and we're kind of unpacking it and talking about it as we're going through it, I think I can appreciate it a little more, certainly, than even where I was in 2011 when I first heard it, right? So um, I I can say, okay, there is an effort going on here as we've described. It's it's a very complex work. This is gonna be a challenge to get through if we really wanna understand what the artist was trying to do, and I'm kind of putting it now in very neutral terms. The artist. It's not Lou. It's not Metallica. This is one work. It's collaboration. It's, let's just call it, uh, you know, uh, Talica. This is Talica kind of mm-hmm. coming at this. This is the, the, the artist we're talking about. This is the work. It's going to be a challenge. But I got to say, even with that and giving that background, I. Um, <laughs> I am not there where you are. Clearly, you're coming at this from a much more intellectual place. And that's why I think this is going to be a great exploration for us, because it's really going to challenge me to put aside my bias, to put aside my very natural metalhead slant and just be able to, you know... You know, uh, adjudicate this in a pass/fail type of situation. No, there's going to be lots of shade of gray. This isn't a black album. This isn't, you know, uh, this isn't anything like even listening to one of the records with the bana- you know, Andy Warhol bananas on the sleeves. Um, Velvet Underground, Velvet right? <laughs> Underground. This is not going to be, you know, Sweet Jane, you know, uh, where you can kind of take and understand and identify because you've seen these people and you understand it. This is something really just different um i i have to kind of approach it with uh giving that that space to allow this to develop as you said as a body of work earlier right so even to to try and judge the tracks in a standalone type of fashion probably never intended that you know in any regard right there's not a single on the album i i I would imagine right not one single no, we, um, and I think so, we definitely have to listen to the whole thing before yeah, we really can render an opinion on I, it. Anymore. I think you're right. Yeah. So it's not going to be like some of my favorite podcasts on the Deep Dive Podcast Network. It's not going to be a pass fail or that's what dreams are made of at this point. Uh, but where I think we are is in a place of first impression. So what I heard you describe was intrigue and I want to hear more. Um, and uh, I I don't know that I would agree necessarily that for me it got better as it went on. I think it actually fell apart as it went on. And toward the end there, there came this then out of nowhere uh, melodic guitar part coming out of the end of that song where I just didn't understand where was that underneath the whole thing the whole time and we weren't hearing it or where did that come from how does it fit so like even in the world of like understanding Metallica music means somebody who you know pick up my guitar on the back over here and start playing some of the stuff I know now this is really not familiar territory for me mm-hmm. like I, as a guitar player, as a fan of the band, um, other than hearing James's voice. I, you know, if James wasn't singing the background vocal, I would have still identified that as Metallica. There's no doubt. Like, they had tried to do it anonymously with them, you know, no vocals involved, but just the, the band in the background, you know, just being truly Lou Reed's background band, um, they would have been identified, you know, I think pretty, pretty early. So, you know, that much we know. But yeah, God, this track coming in at four twenty-one. I mean, if you're a fan of this thing standalone, I, I would say you're at that four twenty mark and you're you're high as a kite, because I'm just not feeling it right now. But you know what? Um I'll I'll be with you on this journey of being intrigued and wanting to know more. And I think that's kind of where we can leave it for this week. We got a whole lot more to unpack. Um I, I do uh uh, think that you know. At this point, we want to let people know how to find us out in social media. So I gotta say, these days I am more just kind of disgusted with what I see in social media, on uh, Twitter. And, and I don't even I don't have Instagram on my phone anymore. Uh, the the TikTok thing, I, I do hope they ban it. I it's just a waste of time. And even with Facebook, I mean, like the reels and all the other stuff. So I am on Facebook. If people want to come along uh, on the journey with us, we'll probably spin up a page that is regarding Lulu. And so you'll probably find us on uh, Twitter at uh, Regarding Lulu. You can probably find us on Facebook at uh, Regarding Lulu. But myself, you can find Chaz Charles. Uh, on Facebook. I'd be happy to accept a friend request. And Greg, how about you? Is there any any way people who are listening can connect with you offline and get to know a little more about you, or do you want to keep it silent until we get further into this?
2: Well, I, you know, um, if I can, um, we maybe we could just mention a little bit about our, our musical uh, backgrounds. And, oh, let's and- do that. I totally forgot. Absolutely yeah so so um maybe i'll, I'll I accidentally I'll... forgot to uh, uh, it was an
1: accidental breakdown in my mind in that i forgot
2: to allow you that opportunity so right. please sir thank you for, <laughs> for, for uh, that uh reference yes so um you i i do have a band called accidental breakdown and you can find me on facebook uh at at facebook.com slash accidental breakdown and and that'll give you a little bit of a connection and, uh, to, to me and to, to what I'm doing. And um, be happy to have uh, a you follow that page, if you feel like it, and, and maybe listen to some, some recordings or videos over there of, of what we're doing with the band. But I'm playing bass guitar and singing, uh, for the most part, uh, with the Accidental Breakdown Band. And, and what are you up to uh, musically
1: these days, Chaz? Yaman, Yaman. So uh, let's talk about your genre too. You're more of a reggae type of artist out there with the accidental breakdown. True. I
2: mean, it's it's not a reggae band, but we do probably play more reggae and more reggae inspired music than anything else. Although we do play a lot of other stuff. And um, one of the guys, the saxophone. You play any Deppleford? You ever been leopard? uh you know what i don't think we have so oh. we, we've uh we've played some of the artists that we've talked about uh, uh on this podcast uh namely bob dylan we play some bob okay. dylan songs so gotcha um uh and and actually uh, uh you'll be impressed we play a guns N' roses song
1: all right. Well, I really liked where you went with the whole. You kind of drew me in with the whole uh, Guns N' Roses doing "Not then, Heaven's Door." Yeah. I was feeling that. I was definitely feeling well, that. I love so, that. Yeah. stuff And and
2: you know, I, I kind of got inspired. I, I I mentioned that I listened to Guns N' Roses and I like their music. Um, and you know, their I guess their biggest hit, "Sweet Child of Mine." So I I had heard uh Cheryl Crow do her version of that song, which I liked. And I had yes. seen yes. Cheryl Crow uh, live uh, this past summer, and she's she's a great performer. And so I started learning that song on acoustic guitar, and and had fun singing that acoustically. Uh, and then brought it to the band, and and we do it just more of a just as a straight rock tune. We don't do it the you know in a, in a hard rock way that Guns N' Roses puts into it. Um, just really stick to uh, more of almost like a tom petty you know if you okay. think about uh, last dance with mary okay. jane okay. like a last dance with mary jane kind of a sound of it that kind okay. of a guitar like it's just a hard rock a little little distorted guitar in there but very classic I sound mean. Uh, And it's a great, beautiful song. It's such a beautiful song lyrically that that they you know, that they wrote um, that it stands up. I think it can be played acoustically. It can be played as a rock song. They play it. it has got eyes of
1: the bluest skies. Right. Very, very poetic, very,
2: very emotional, tender song. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I and 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 people love that song. Uh, and so when we play that out, it's been getting a great reaction from people.
0: Awesome. Um,
2: so so we do a little bit of the Guns and Roses. No, no Metallica, no Def Leppard, but a little bit of the Guns <laughs> and Roses. Uh, oh, yeah, and certainly cool. the Dylan, a few of the Dylan songs. And and as you said, we do some of the Marley songs, both Ziggy and Bob. We yeah, do a little ziggy, a little bob, and uh, like we do ice. some
1: radiators and some other uh, zigzags. Uh, oh, yeah, man, back in the, the
2: Yeah, Back in the Arkansas. day. Oh, yeah, man. Some blues. Yeah, some, yeah, some, some blues blues. music. We have some jazzers in the band, so we do a little bit of jazz music. A little Herbie Hancock. Yeah, uh, you guys
1: are drumming. very talented. Yes. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I mean, Yeah, so people should check you out. Facebook.com Accidental Breakdown. Yeah, man.
2: And what are you up to with uh, you? You've been playing guitar. Uh, I have.
1: You know, yeah. Out, out in yeah, Colorado. I, I have out here in northern Colorado. I'm in a band called Steel Revenge. Uh, and that is uh, very much as it sounds. We're 80s. Um, hair metal, uh, and uh, so we're not we're not goth or you know gore or death metal or any of that. Uh, we're not even thrash or speed metal, so we're not playing any Metallica either. Although we've talked about adding some of their choicer uh, uh, songs to our set list, but no, we're very much in the vein of uh, Def Leppard, Van Halen, Dokken. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know that we've got any Guns N' Roses uh, coming up anytime soon, but, you know, certainly not out of genre. You mentioned ACDC. Uh, we just uh, played a treatment of an L.A. Guns song where we kind of psyched the audience out like Tracy Guns himself, who is the main guitarist and was one of the founders, in fact, of band you talked about guns and roses he's the gun in the guns and roses from very early on hollywood rose became guns and roses axel rose tracy parted ways but we played a little uh, hell's bells and uh, kind of the intro there is very much uh, what tracy duns was inspired by for a song called never enough so we play a lot of the la hair metal uh, scene mixed in with some of the new wave of british heavy metal guys uh, as we discussed um, you know, uh, Death Leopard again. I can't say Death Leopard enough, they're my favorite band. But, um, you know, we're, we're playing, uh, um, out here and, and gigging in Northern Colorado. And so, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com, Steel Revenge. So check that page out as well. And with that, Greg, we will wrap it up for this week, get production done, get our songs, or get our, uh, get our uh, podcast cut and mastered and posted and get ready to come back with track two Love you off of Lulu by Lutalica, Lou Reed and Metallica. So everybody, thanks for joining us and have a great week.